I spent, you know, the first well, 25 plus years of my career in various marketing fields. So I have spent time in retail, retail merchandising. Uh, I worked in PR on a military base. Uh, I worked at an advertising agency. Um, I was a, a strategist and an account planner. I went to Miami ad school for that. Um, I worked in consumer research as a strategist. So I worked with both quantitative and qualitative data and helping activate that with the client. Um, I was the director of marketing. Actually, no, I was the VP of marketing for an animal health company um, where I launched a number of new brands into um, the horse supplement market, which is a really interesting market. Um, and then at my last job, before I, I got into cannabis, I worked in experiential marketing. So I have a very well-rounded um, background in all things marketing. And, um, you know, I realized that branding was my favorite thing. So that was, that was why I went in that direction. Hi, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Cannabis Curious Podcast. This time, I sit down with Jennifer Wetzel of Lady Jane Branding. You can find out more about Lady Jane Branding at ladyjanebranding.com. Thank you for listening. You know, the other thing in my background is that I spent 20 years working in the family business um, on the side. Um, my dad had um, a Polish sausage company and it was regionally famous and it was started in 1919. Um, so, you know, he was a bit of an entrepreneur as well. And so I've got a, a lot of background with working for, you know, a small business as well. So, so that has informed my, um, you know, my current situation quite a bit. No, that's all. That's like a perfect segue, I guess, into sort of what led you into cannabis and how have some of those experiences translated into what you're currently doing? Well, in 2017, um, I had lost my job and was looking for a new one. And I wanted to move. I was living in Iowa and I wanted to move somewhere where I could at minimum have access to medical cannabis. I had a uh, an immune disorder and an autoimmune disorder. And the only thing that worked for me was cannabis. Um, I was on so many medications, so many pills. Um, none of it was working. Um, I didn't really have access where I was and the access I did have, you know, I knew it was the only thing that helped. And so I specifically moved to a state where I could have access to cannabis to help with my, you know, with my medical issues. Um, and then a year later, I lost the job that I moved for, and I had a really tough year. I had to move my mom um, to Maine to take care of her. She was not well. Um, I had a car accident with my mom in the car. I got divorced. Um, it was a really bad year. Um, and so I had been spending time looking for a new job. Uh, I couldn't find anything that really uh, excited me. Um, also, I was trying to deal with the the symptoms from these issues. I was also dealing with PTSD from all of the, the traumatic experiences. And I realized that I couldn't really go back to work for someone else quite yet. Um, and I spent a lot of time at my caregiver's house. And because in Maine at the time, that was really the only place where you could buy cannabis was from a local caregiver. Usually they either delivered or you went to their house. And I met a lot of entrepreneurs while I was um, trying to heal. 
you know, I met people who were making, uh, you know, lotions and edibles and growing flour, and they were really great at the things that they were doing. Um, what they were not great at uh, was branding and marketing. And at the time, you didn't really need it because everything that you bought was just in a Mylar, Mylar baggie with Sharpie written on it. You know, there was no competition. You picked a caregiver and you, you stuck with them. Um, but as the market changed, it became very clear that, um, you know, those craft growers and processes, processors were going to need a strong brand to compete. And I realized, I know how to do that. I can help these people with the thing that they're not best at. You know, they're best at the things that they do, and I'm best at branding. So I thought that that would be a really great way to get into the market. And honestly, I'd been spending a lot of time watching things um, on Netflix and TV like Disjointed with Kathy Bates and Weeds. And I was like, you know, this could be like a real industry. I didn't really think it was yet. And, you know, I saw these strong women leading the charge. I was like, I can do that. I want to do that. So that's what I did. <laughs> and that's when I decided to launch Lady Jane Branding. And I just kind of went all in. With that. I think that's a great story. You turned like adversity into you know opportunity. I, I had to, you know, I, I was, it was either sink deeper uh, and get worse or claw my own way out. And I yeah, had, to, and sure. I did that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. So talk to me about Lady Jane Branding. What is it? Well, Lady Jane Branding, um, I started as a way to democratize the process of branding. It's something that most people don't quite understand. You know, it's always lumped in with marketing and advertising and it's not the same. You know, it is building a brand identity. It is building a strategy and then it is, is making all of your business decisions around your, your brand identity. And, you know, when I looked back at when I, at my favorite part of the work I used to do with branding, it was doing the brand identity work with new clients. It was helping them understand who their brand was, what they value, what their personality was, how they would um, be seen in the world. And one of my favorite exercises that I used to do with clients involved archetypes. And so I always loved archetypes and clients loved it. It was their favorite part of the, of the exercises. And archetypes are universal characters like a hero or an outlaw or a lover, you know, characters that you would recognize in any story. And when you use them in branding, you pick one and you build your brand identity using those universal characteristics so that people get it, like they understand you quickly. And so what I did was I defined 16 archetypes specifically for the cannabis industry, proprietary ones that included a stoner and a healer and a farmer and a hippie and a rock star, um, ones that I thought would be appropriate for, for cannabis because what I saw was that most brands were maybe sticking to a, a stoner type of look and feel or maybe a doctor type look and feel. And there weren't really other choices in between. You know, there was either going one direction or the other. And I, I felt that there needed to be a lot more variety in the market. So, so I defined these archetypes and then I turned it into a multiple choice quiz for fun. So you take this quiz, it's just five questions and you learn which, which archetype is closest to your brand. And then you use those qualities that I've already defined to help you, to help clients um, build their messaging and build their visual identity and have it all be consistent and match. Um, and the reason we do this is to build a uh, creative brief or a strategy brief. And then what you can do with that 
is use it to get all your design work done to make sure that everything fits your brand identity. You can also use that to ensure that all of uh, your employees know what your brand is about and can represent your brand um, properly in the marketplace. Because if your employees don't know what your brand is about, how can your customers, you know? So, um, you know, my first thought uh, was to do brand makeover parties. I was going to try and get, you know, women entrepreneurs together in a room to, to hash out their brand identities together. Yeah, you know how hard it is to get five women in a room together? It's really hard. Um, <laughs> it's impossible to schedule. I was like, how is this going to work for a business? And it really wasn't. So, so basically, I have put all of this um, online. It's a digital process now. And I am in the process of uh, turning that into like a, a full branding platform that provides um, suggestions, multiple choice options for things like the words that you would use to define your values and your personality and your tone of voice. And it provides options for things like color palettes and fonts and images so that it's, it's easy, you know, it's multiple choice. So that was my, my grand idea for launching Lady Jane Branding was to make it easy for people, make it multiple choice. It doesn't have to be that hard and it doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah. Easy and fun. You're making it fun. You know, branding should be an exciting experience because it is kind of picking your identity in the marketplace. That should be something that's exciting and fun. Exactly. And, you know, for, for all of the, the clients I've taken through the process, it is enjoyable. You know, it's, it's, they know the answers in their head and the tough part is getting it on paper. And that's what I'm really good at is taking what's in somebody else's head, um, almost like a, a brand therapist and building a strategy around that. Um, and that's, you know, once you know your brand identity, um, as an example, Lady Jane Branding is a best friend brand. And so when I am making business decisions, for example, you know, whether to sponsor an event or whether to go to an event or, you know, even with messaging and visual design, if I look at it and it doesn't feel or sound or look best friendy, then I don't do it. And that's a way to save money, actually, and to be really thoughtful in your business decisions because you're only doing things that support your brand identity. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. It like helps to give you like a framework for your values. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's, you know, the multiple choice option makes it so that you're not having to choose values out of, you know, the entire dictionary of words that could be values. You know, I'm limiting to thought starters. You know, here's 20 words that might fit you. Do you like any of these? Rather than, what are your values? Because to have to sit and think about that is hard. So those prompts are a really easy way to get, quick way to get to the answer. And I like how you're talking about then weaving it through all of the business operations to some extent, like making the employees aware of it. So then they can uphold the brand and they have keywords and ideas that help them frame who, you know, their employer is in the marketplace. Absolutely. And part of our process involves defining those values and, and the personality and the tone of voice so that the, the brand, so that we're clear about what those words mean. You know, sustainability, for example, can mean 10 different things depending on how you want to define it. And if your employees just know, well, we're all about sustainability and they don't know what that means, they don't know how to act or what to do or what to say or what to say. Like if you, are very clear in defining what you're all about, then employees know what to do 
and how to support you and how to maintain that brand identity. Yeah. What their expectations are at work, yeah. which is important. Yeah. Um, so could you, maybe as a way to sort of ground myself and even just the listeners in the process, could you maybe give us a few examples of some clients you've worked with and sort of how they, how you found them, what the process was, what they ended up with at the end. Um, and maybe it's different because I think you have different packages on your website. I do. And, and honestly, that's not the full scope of my offerings right now. We're in the middle of redoing the website. But yeah, let me give you a couple examples. So I had one uh, local craft grower here in the market uh, in Maine, where I am. And the, the client was a family of four. So um, um, the mom, the uh, mom and dad were divorced and they were partners in this, in this venture and two of the kids. And so they were really stuck on trying to figure out what their brand was all about. They kept going around and around and everybody had their own ideas and they couldn't really, they were trying to make a logo and they couldn't agree. So I had each of them take the quiz. They all had different answers. Um, I, I had them uh, all take the quiz together with me. Um, I had it on my, you know, my TV, they were sitting on my couch and uh, they took turns answering the questions. And so the answer didn't make sense. I'm like, this isn't working. So <laughs> I brought out my book of 16 archetypes and I flipped through and I said, um, this is the archetype that I think that you are. And they were also a best friend brand. And once they read it, they were like, yes, that is exactly what we are. And then all four of them could rally around that idea that we're a best friend brand and now we know how to act and what to do and what our logo should look like and even what our name should be. Um, so it, it became very clear to them how to proceed quickly and easily. And they were just lost and struggling before that. So it was just really a clarifying, um, moment for them. And, you know, then you probably refer to their working relationships and everything. They're probably even their family relationships in some way by like offering them that clarity. I, I hope so. Yep. That's the, the, the brand coaching, you know, and actually, you know, I do call that uh, the brand intervention. Like that's, <laughs> that's the name of it on the website because, you know, when you have more than two people involved, well, even any more than just one entrepreneur who's answering the questions, you have to agree. Like you have to agree on each of the the uh, the values and the and the personality and and everything before you move forward. And so, um, coaching everyone and ensuring that they are agreeing before we move forward is really critical. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I have another really good example. So I had a, a client who reached out to me because she had hired um, a designer to redo her packaging um, and logo. And she wasn't happy with the result and just was like, I don't know how to give feedback. I don't, I don't like it, but I don't know how to, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say that I don't like. I don't know what to say that I do like, like I'm, I'm lost. So we went through the, the process. We wrote up the brief and then I went through all of the choices, the multiple choice options for things like colors and font choices and, and even the values and the, and the, um, the personality words. And what that allowed us to do was to be very clear about, I like this. I don't like this. You know, here's the direction I want you to go for the, for the, um, for the designer. Um, it, it was providing her the guardrails for, for what to do and what not to do. And it made it very clear for them moving forward, um, how to give the right feedback. And so at the end of the process with her designer, 
um, she ended up with something that she liked because she knew how to give that feedback based on you know all the options that I provided. That's awesome. It's like you meet people anywhere they are at in the process. Yes, you know, it sounds like. Like yep. the best friend brand, like you're saying, I'll meet yes. wherever you are. Yep, I can take you along and, and help you out. You know, and, and one of the other things that is helpful is that I also, I think I mentioned earlier, I have that compliance background working in animal health. And so I, I also teach a class on how to write compliant messaging, um, FDA compliant messaging. So this, this platform, this model that I've built for branding um, helps clients write messaging that focuses on an emotional connection rather than health claims, you know, so I can guide them that way as well and help keep them out of trouble. That makes a lot of sense. It's very valuable right now. I mean, especially because those regulations continue to evolve around, right, the FDA regulations, there's different state regulations in terms of what can be on packages and branding, what can be said, um, and that continues to be, I'm sure it continues just to be an evolving, like moving target. And so I imagine that, you know, greatly impacts people you're working with. It, it absolutely does. And, and you know, the, the federal regulations are unlikely to be, um, to be changed, some of them. You know, there are a few things that, that the FDA could do to make it easier, but the majority of the regulations are probably going to stay, um, va- you know, valid. Um, and a lot of the regulations in states as well can even be even more um, uh, stringent, you know, so it's really critical to do that part right. Yeah, that's fair. Actually, yeah, it's like the, the feds really don't change law once they define it. I used to consult for them. They get pretty stuck in their way. It's the states that seem to continue to learn and or have an experience with one or two that causes them to change the regs for all. Yep. So what kind of advice do you have for people that are looking to get either a product or a service to market? Um, You know, what I would say is that the the very first thing that you should do is your brand, your branding work, you know, develop your brand identity and your brand strategy, because everything you do after that should fit your brand identity and strategy. It's the very first thing that you should do. Um, And if you haven't done it, you need to go back and get it on paper. You know, it's more than just thinking about it. It's writing it down and it's sharing it with your entire team to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, The other thing I would say is, is again, the compliance. Like if you don't get your compliance right, it can bite you later hard, (laughs) Um, particularly with packaging. You know, if you're making health claims on on your product or your packaging or your website, you know, the FDA just scours the, the internet for those who are doing it wrong. And they've got files on it, on people who are doing it wrong. And the time will come when they will send out the letters. Um, and people will have to make changes and that can be expensive, you know? So it's less about actually getting in trouble, more about having to, you know, you're going to have to reprint everything and redo everything. And that's expensive. Like, don't do, don't do that. Do it right from the beginning. Does that primarily apply to CBD brands that the FDA would be looking to do that with? So right now it's CBD because CBD is, is sold interstate and that's where the laws really kick in. Now, um, you can't make health claims with cannabis either, but they haven't really sent out any letters for that. Um, because they're focusing more on CBD, but they will, you know? Um, also I know at least in Maine, um, it's illegal to make health claims on your cannabis products as well. So if you're not getting in trouble with the FDA, cause they're, they're not looking at that yet, the States might. 
So it's, it's still important for cannabis. How do you see things like branding and packaging evolving as legal cannabis evolves? Um, you know, as competition increases, uh, the need for strong branding is going to be critical. Um, you know, when there's, when there's just a few players in the market and not a lot of choices, um, you know, a, a good brand is, is maybe not uh, as important. But um, think about how, you know, when this is legal nationally, um, there are CPG companies that are just waiting for the minute that it becomes legal to jump into the market. They're going to have their compliance right and they're going to have spent a fortune on branding and marketing and advertising. And so for the companies who haven't done their, their homework and haven't built a strong brand and haven't built that connection with consumers, uh, they're going to, they're going to lose their spot to, to companies that are doing a better job. Um, you know, the other thing to consider is, you know, as legality changes, we're going to be bringing new consumers into the market and they are going to need to trust the brands that they buy. And, you know, branding can also help lend that halo of trust to consumers. You know, if you're doing everything right, if you have strong messaging, you know, if you are building a connection with your customers, they will trust you. And cannabis is the kind of thing where that needs, that needs to be there. Um, that trust needs to be there. And brands that break that trust are going to lose their, their consumer base. Um, so it's only been going to be more critical as time goes on. You know, if you think about markets like the, I like to think about the fancy food market, for example. And, and by that, I mean products like, you know, all the paleo stuff, all the gluten-free stuff, all the, you know, every new diet fad that comes, that comes out, there are new uh, food products out there and those are very well branded and they keep getting bought by big, uh, um, CPG companies. And that's going to happen with cannabis too. You know, the ones who are branded best are going to succeed. You know, they might get bought out. They might get, um, you know, acquired. They might be a really good competitor in the space, but without that branding, um, it's going to be a hard road. It's interesting to hear you say that. I mean, I can imagine all those CPG like brands already standing at the ready to enter the market when the time comes. Yeah, they're just they're just watching to see what's happening now. They're they're looking at the mistakes that are being made. They're looking at, you know, how to um, how to take over the market when it's when it's legal. Like they're not going to get into the market um, before that because that puts the rest of their business at risk. You know, they have, so, but they're going to be ready. Um, and I think they're going to wipe out a lot of brands that, that are not doing what they need to do. Yeah. And by not doing what they need to do. Um, yes, I would say, you know, uh, non-compliance for, for really anything, you know, if you're, if you're not doing things in a compliant manner, um, it'll catch up. And that's going to knock some brands out of the market. Um, you know, not putting the effort towards um, building uh, a brand, a strong brand that that talks to consumers and gets them to to trust you. Like having that that strong consumer base um, is a way to prevent those 
having that strong connection is going to, is going to prevent people from leaving your brand when all the new ones um, enter the market. You know, you, you need to, to build that loyalty now. Yeah. And it's already a very kind of crowded market, even at the state level, especially for, you know, cannabis brands where medical and especially adult use are legal. The, the state markets explode. Yep. Uh, uh, just to give you an example, uh, the market where I live in Maine, um, it's mostly medical because we have just in the past couple of weeks um, started to give out recreational license licenses. So there are over um, there are over 2000 medical caregivers, growers in the state. There are well over 300 medical retail stores in the state. Um, there is a lot of competition. There are some beautifully done brands here. And there are some ones who still have, you know, stuff in packages, Mylar packages with Sharpie written on them, you know, and they need to catch up to the rest of the brands. Um, because, um, you know, when, when new consumers are coming in, they're going to be looking for a professionally designed look like they need to feel that trust. We're all consumers. You know, we shop at the grocery store. We know what to look for and new consumers are going to need that, um, that feeling of, of trust. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting perspective again, that you bring to um, it's helping me think a little differently because I kind of what I hear you saying is new consumers that enter the market might have been around and experienced prohibition propaganda. So have some preconceived notions and be coming in with a little bit of trepidation or curiosity. And so that experience needs to be um, and like create trust yes. rather than make them more skittish, which is interesting because I guess because I've always enjoyed cannabis since I was younger. I think so much more about the people who have been like consuming cannabis medically recreationally for a number of years. And um, they're also going to want quality and trust in their products. Um, so those two coming together. Yep. And you know, it's, it's interesting. So one of the other um, businesses that I'm working on, and, and I will tie this together in a second is the women in cannabis study. And that is a, a research project. And we've spoken to over, a thousand women in three countries um, about their experiences of working in the cannabis industry, but also their experiences with cannabis. And these women, these industry insiders, I'll call them, um, I want to say it's about 69% of them use cannabis daily. So they are, I'd call them early adopters. I'd call them heavy users. The majority use uh, cannabis for multiple reasons, health reasons, non-health reasons, relaxation. Uh, the majority smoke uh, flower. Um, you know, and so then we have, um, for these women who use cannabis for multiple reasons, you know, they may not care about the branding, the packaging. They may just care about the quality because they know what it does. They, they know what to look for. They know what's important. When we start to look at, um, cannabis, like current cannabis consumers who are outside of the industry, who are in legal markets, you know, they are, many of them just want to be able to access cannabis because they need it for a reason. But for those who are just curious, um, they're not going to be okay with just a baggie with, with Sharpie on it. Like that's not how we shop and that's not how we trust people. That feels like a drug dealer. It's not, but it feels like it. You know, so when we present 
new consumers entering the market with packaging that they're familiar with that they might, you know, that looks like it belongs in the, in the grocery store, they're going to be more comfortable giving it a try. So it's, it's how do we encourage new users to feel comfortable trying cannabis? And part of that is the professionalism of the packaging and the branding. Um, now, obviously the product inside needs to be good and high quality and all of that, but, but it's like, that's putting the bow on top to entice new customers to try it because otherwise, eh, you know, they may not be interested. It's a good perspective. That's why I like doing these podcasts because things like this will stick with me forever. So it'll just help. Yeah. Um, I think it's great for helping to bring those consumers into the market. So could you talk to me a little bit about just what's, what's in the future for Lady Jane branding and maybe just you in general, anything else you want to share? So much. There's so much going on. So um, so for Lady Jane Branding, what I'm working on is um, taking my platform fully online and making it um, accessible to, to anybody who wants. Right now, I have to walk people through my platform, um, but I'm going to have it uh, available for, for brands so that they can go in and just do it yourself. Um, and I'll have it available for agencies and freelancers who have clients who don't really have their brand identity nailed down quite yet. And so this facilitates that conversation so that they can get the work done quickly and that, you know, it's less expensive because doing that brand identity interview up front takes time and and effort and thought. And if you, if if a brand can do it on their own, you know, with the guidance that I provide, then it makes it a lot easier and quicker and cheaper for them to, to get any of their work done. Um, I'm also working, um, on, incorporating my consumer quiz because I have this brand brand archetype quiz. I also have a consumer cannabis personality quiz and I'm working on incorporating that consumer cannabis personality quiz into a really cool new website. That's like an Etsy type platform so that um, uh, consumers will be able to figure out what their cannabis archetype is. And then we show them products that would fit. Oh, you're an explorer archetype. Perhaps you'll like these products. Um, and that's going to be really fun. Um, that is so cool. Yeah. So, what is your process like for designing these archetypes? I mean, it's really, it's like such a skill. Um, that's an interesting question. So it's, it's, um, a lot of reading. I, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of therapy to be honest. <laughs> um, and, so there's this therapeutic modality called internal family systems. And I was doing this with a therapist before I created these archetypes. And it's all about identifying, you know, how in your, in your mind, sometimes you think, well, this part of me thinks this, and this part of me thinks that it was really about identifying who are those parts of you and, and what are they thinking and what are their issues and what do they need and what are they hiding? And, you know, so like, typical for me, like I, I charted it out on a spreadsheet, like here's all my, my parts, all my internal personalities, my archetypes. Um, and so that was part of it. I was like, oh, like this part of me is an artist. This part of me is a rock star. This part of me is a magician. So I kind of named all those parts. And when I was at my caregivers meeting all these entrepreneurs, I met them all. Like I met a farmer. I met, you know, a, a, a an activist. I met an explorer. I met all of them. And so I I could put faces to them. And so understanding how they think and feel and do things makes it easier to, um, 
to build a, a brand around it, you know, or to just to have to make that connection with it. Um, it's a classifying and categorizing exercise. I like to categorize things. It's my, yeah. Um, so, so that's how I, I came up with them. And I just kept writing and writing and categorizing and recategorizing until I came up with ones that I really liked. And, and that's, that's how I did it. I think it's awesome. You're obviously very good at it. And in like the beauty of it is you've turned it into something that's very accessible. Yeah. Thanks. And, and, you know, in addition, it's, um, I am building, uh, a lot of data around it. So the women in cannabis study where we spoke to over a thousand women, um, we've incorporated the archetype questions into that study. Um, I have over, um, 3000 consumers who've taken this quiz already, uh, about 1500 brands. And we're going to go out and get another 10,000 completed surveys from both current cannabis consumers and cannabis curious consumers. So we're going to build, I already have, but we're going to build um, stronger consumer personas based on these archetypes. So if you know your brand archetype and you know your consumer persona, these these consumer personas will have um, data behind them. So who are they? Where can you, and how can you reach them? How much do they spend? What do they buy? Um, and that, that data will be very powerful. Um, so, so that's just part of it. Um, I'm working on doing an archetype networking, uh, type event where, um, we look at all the archetypes and you figure out, um, based on their qualities, where you're strong and where you need some work. And then you go meet 15 other people who are different from your archetype so that you can connect and have a, um, have support from, from people who are good at things that you're not. So for example, you know, I'm not a good activist. Maybe I need an activist friend who, when I have to, you know, act like an activist and I don't know what to do, I call them up and say, help me. Can you help me be an activist? Cause they know how to do it. So it's kind of like a, a, a personal development type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I'm working on, um, so the, the course that I have, the online course that teaches people how to, um, right messaging that is FDA compliant. Um, I'm working on expanding that a little bit um, into Canada's rules because I have um, I have some information on that and doing um, uh, compliance audits for brands, you know. So, you know, if you need help making sure that your messaging is, is not going to get you in trouble, then I can review, you know, all of the all of the content and show show clients where where their risk is. So. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. You're keeping very busy. You're doing a lot of interesting things. Yep. And then uh, I also have, because, you know, I don't have enough time in the day. I'm also uh, a partner in a, a, a company here in Maine where we do networking events for growers and retailers. So it's a company called Independent Diamond Brokers. And we they're very small gatherings um, where it's almost like forced networking to get the, uh, the retailers and growers to connect um, for wholesale transactions. You know, rather than just a sesh where you've got card, you know, crowds and card holders, and you really just want to talk to retail buyers, you know, quickly. Yeah, more of a B two B type of network. Exactly. So that's been, um, you know, a really fun way to to be involved in the in the local market, supporting craft growers here in Maine. You you've like figured out how to be so effective in so many different ways. And you entered the cannabis industry when? Remind me. Two years ago. That's what I saw. As I was like, twenty eighteen was was the year I had in my head, right? So yeah. you've done. Um, 
some incredible work in that short amount of time. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, and the, the other thing that I, I totally even forgot about, I, I also am going to, I have a book that's almost ready to go that, that um, talks about branding in the cannabis industry and uh, goes into detail on each of the archetypes so that um, brands can figure it out on their own. So yeah, hopefully be looking for that um, probably early next year. That's fantastic. Okay. So where can people find out more about Lady Jane Branding? So right now it would be ladyjanebranding.com and at ladyjanebranding on Instagram. Um, and again, we're updating our, working on updating the website right now to incorporate everything that's going on. Also, um, for the Women in Cannabis study, that website is womenincannabis.study. It's one of those fancy new ones with dot .study at the end. And on Instagram, it's at womenincannabis.study. Okay, and then the main B2B networking? Independentdiamondbrokers.com and at independentdiamondbrokers on Instagram. Uh, we're having a, our next event in October, so it should be fun. Well, thank you for taking the time. I think the Cannabis Curious listeners are going to find a lot of value in everything that you're doing. I hope so. Yep. And, and, you know, once we have that, um, you know, the data back on, uh, you know, industry insiders versus cannabis consumers versus the, the can of curious, I'd love to come back and tell you more about it. Oh my gosh. I'd love that. I think that would be so powerful. I'm so fascinated by cannabis consumers, um, in general. Me too. Yeah. I would love that. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for the time. Thank you, Ashley. I really appreciate you having me on.